0: I don't know about your heart, but my heart is full, and I'm so thankful for every one of you who have come to be part of this this weekend. My name is Michael Garreau, and um, comparatively speaking to someone like Mr. Nuremberg, I've been here for just a very little time. I've only been here 14 years, Um, but it's been a, a joy and a privilege to be on the teaching staff Um, Just so you can get a little bit of an idea of who I am. I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, My whole life has been shaped by the ministry and teaching here at EI. My grandmother is Ann Plant, who became Ann Dykstra. And she came to Christ, and one day she was cleaning in a house in Georgia and there was a stack of tapes. She took a tape, put it in a tape player, hit play, and it was Mr. Carroll. Shortly afterwards, she came to school here, did her two years, and became, uh, came on staff as uh, the cook for a few years. It was through my grandmother that my mom and my dad, my dad and my mom, Pierre Philippe and Kay Gouraud, heard about the school. And in 1984 through 1986, they came, and my dad became a student here at EI. I was two years old when I first came onto this campus. There's a picture of me, two or three years old. I'm sitting on the stool in the kitchen up there in Dorm D, and uh, Dan Johnson is there terrorizing me. <laughs> uh, we called him Munster. I think that was for Monster. I don't know. <laughs> but he was there terrorizing me. Little did he know at that point that many years later, I would come on staff and teach alongside him, and that he and I would be prayer partners for many, many years. Um, so my dad came to school here, 84 to 86. Um, he came back in 1990. This always was a place where we would come back. It was a place where um, my, my dad and my mom were um, ministering in France and Belgium, and this was a place of support, prayer support a friendship, and we would always come back here when my siblings and I uh, graduated from high school, we came to school here. I was part of the graduate the, the class that last had Mr. Carroll teach in person in the classroom. a great privilege he would get and, and he was still just as fiery he 'd come into that classroom, and despite all the struggles he had mentally, all that teaching would come back, and we would sit under that. Wonderful teaching. Well, um, I went on to do more schooling and I came back with my wife. I was married then in 2008, August of 2008. We drove up onto this campus. Uh, I had rented a U-Haul. We took everything out of our U-Haul into a little apartment here on campus. We spent the night. I woke up the next morning. And the news was that Mr. Carroll had passed away in the night. So my first night on campus as a teacher was his last night on this earth. And so these these interesting transitions, you know, that you remember, these marking points. A little less than two years into being a teacher uh, here at the school, um, God and his sovereignty uh, caused me to go through great trial. Uh, talk about it today, the valley of the shadow of death. One day I'm able-bodied, the next day I was paralyzed. And I've stayed paralyzed ever since. But God has used that in my life. So as I uh, consider just my short life, 40 years, my short life, um, God has been a good shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ has been a good shepherd to me. And I hope that as you... Um, as we look over God's words, we consider God's word and you consider your life and the way he has led you since you came here and, and up till today, you would see that he's a good shepherd. So if you would turn with me to Psalm 23, a precious psalm, very well-known psalm. We're going to use it as our meditation this morning uh, to remind ourselves of the shepherd, That is ours. Psalm 23. And I will read from the New American Standard The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup, Overflows. surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever pray with me as we we begin our time father we come and ask that by your spirit you would come to us and quicken your word to us make it alive and remind us that you are a shepherd And enable us, by your grace, alongside David, to make this confident assertion that we lack nothing and that we fear no evil. And so we come and ask that you would do that for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we dive into the text, I want to make a few general observations of the text as a whole, as a psalm as a whole. First of all, I want to just say this is a psalm that expresses faith. It's a psalm of faith. The Christian, as you know, is a person who walks by faith. What is faith? Mister Nuremberg is going through a series on Monday night on faith. I've adapted my definition from his. Faith is affirming what God has revealed to be true. It's affirming what God has revealed to be true and then choosing to live in that reality, to live by that reality. And one of the things you will note in this psalm is that there is no request. There is no plea for help. There is no intercession in this uh, great psalm. It is all assertion. It is all fact. It is all declaration. It is a psalm. A faith. David is saying, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of how I feel, this is what is true. This is reality. And this is how I'm going to live. David is expressing his faith in God. Alexander McLaren, a great pastor, write to this psalm that it has supplied the mold. Think of this psalm as it has supplied the mold into which many hearts Have poured their peaceful faith. And I trust that that's what will happen for us today, that this can be a psalm in which we can pour our faith into it. I really, really believe this is why this psalm is in our Bible. It's not for us just to sit back and reflect, oh, David had a great shepherd. But it's for us to also come to the realization we have a great shepherd. We have a great shepherd. And so we can use this psalm as an expression of our own faith in God. But not only is it an expression of faith, it's an expression of personal faith in a person. Personal faith in a person. You, you probably remember here at EI being told it again again and again that Christianity is a what? A person. It's a love relationship with a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, we find here that David is acknowledging that. We walk with a person. This is what we find in this psalm, that Yahweh God, the self-sufficient God, the God who declared himself to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh God is my shepherd. My shepherd. Note that God is referred to as the subject ten times in this psalm. We are referred to as the object again and again and again with the words of me, my, I. God is the great subject. We are the great object, the great object of his care, the great object of his love. And immediately we're struck, I'm struck at least, by the personal nature of the psalm. This psalm does not speak of God is our shepherd, But God is my shepherd. It's very personal. It's not just God's relationship to the community as a whole, to the people of God as a whole, but it is God's relationship to every individual within that community. Every individual has a relationship with this shepherd. And so it's a very real psalm, a very personal psalm, a very intimate psalm. But I also want you to know, again, just big picture here, that it's written from the sheep's vantage point. This is not the shepherd speaking to us. It is the sheep speaking to the shepherd. I'm not trying to deny that this is the word of God, absolutely. But it is the word of God written from the perspective of the people of God, declaring who God is. And so again, it is a great expression of confident trust in the shepherd. In other words, we could say that Psalm 23, we shouldn't think of Psalm 23 as a bunch of promises that God is making to us. Because it isn't. What is it? It's rather a declaration of trust in a God, in God, on the basis of promises he has made elsewhere and also confirmed to us again and again, in our own experience. And so it is a psalm of faith from our vantage point. A psalm that we can pour our faith into, into the mold of this psalm. But one more point I'd like to make before we dive into the details of the psalm just has to do with the structure of the psalm. It's beautifully structured. It begins with, The Lord is my shepherd. And the whole psalm flows from this wonderful truth that the Lord is my shepherd. It's divided into two parts. Verses 2 and 3 all have to do with this phrase, I shall not want. It's really two great truths that come out of this psalm. The Lord is his shepherd, and it results in two things. I shall not want. And number two, I fear no evil. So if you think of this psalm, you can think of two big sections. The Lord's provision... I shall not want. I lack nothing. And then the Lord's protection. I fear no evil. And then the great conclusion. God is a God of love, of goodness, of mercy. And this is how he summarizes this great psalm. So this is how we're going to think of it. The Lord is my shepherd. Two parts. I shall not want. Second part. I fear no evil. So the Lord's provision. I want us to imagine ourselves as sheep. You think, oh boy. That's what David is inviting us to do, right? He's inviting us to think of ourselves as sheep. And I want you to think of yourself as being in a great wilderness. Think of your life as being a great wilderness. Some of that wilderness is behind. Some of that wilderness is ahead. For some of us, perhaps some more behind than ahead. Some more ahead than behind. So here we are in this wilderness, and we're sheep. What do we need? Oh, we need a shepherd. Why do we need a shepherd? Because we need someone to provide for us. We're helpless in this great wilderness. And we need someone to protect us in this great wilderness. And this is what David is emphasizing in this psalm. That the Lord is his shepherd. And the whole psalm really is an explanation of what it means that the Lord is my shepherd. So look at there in verse 1. He begins by saying, I shall not want. There it is, first part. I shall not want. In other words, he's saying, I lack nothing. I will not be without. I don't lack anything needful. The great assertion, again, of confident trust. I might feel at times like I lack something. It may feel like I don't have what I need. But David is asserting what we read in another psalm, that no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. One of my favorite hymns, Fanny Crosby, All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? What more could we ask for? Than for our Lord Jesus Christ to lead us all the way in this life. Well, what does our shepherd provide? Well, you look at verse 2. He says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. So the first thing He provides for us is food, He provides us with nourishment. The Hebrew language has multiple words for grass. And this particular word for grass speaks of the new spring grass, the new, the new grass that springs up after the dry season, when the rain comes down and the new blades come up, and the shepherd leads us to this new grass. These new pastures of new grass that have sprung up, interestingly, after dry seasons. The Lord is our shepherd he provides for us. David is full of confidence. He causes me to lie down. I might be in a dry season, but the rain's going to come. The grass is going to spring up. He's going to lead me. He's going to feed me. He leads me beside quiet waters. Not only does sheep need grass, sheep needs water. And he leads us to these refreshing waters. These are not quiet or still waters in the sense that the water is placid, unmoving. But these are rather waters of quietness, waters where we can find rest and refreshment. So these are not dangerous torrents. These are babbling brooks, as you would. And the Lord gives us what we need. He leads us to food. He leads us to water. And then we read, he restores my soul. There's a progression here, right? He takes food. He takes water. He feeds us so that we might be revived, so that we might be restored, that we might be strengthened and experience vitality of life. Why? What's the next line? He leads me, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he feeds me, he, he gives me water, he strengthens me in, more, in order that I might go on a path, walk on a path, paths of righteousness, right paths. And these are not just morally right paths, paths of morally right actions, but rather the right paths as opposed to the wrong paths. God's paths, God's perfect paths from his ultimate Perspective. And he does it. Why does he do it? Well, the psalm tells us he does it for his name's sake. Now, his name's sake speaks of his character. He does it because this is who he is God is good, and God cares, and God provides, and God leads. This is his character, and he places his character on display in the way that he cares for his children, for his sheep. So what is David saying? He's saying Yahweh, God, is his shepherd, and because he's his shepherd, David has everything he needs to thrive. We need food, we need water in order to be strengthened and revived, in order to walk on the path that he's called us to walk on. And the Lord provides it all. One commentator writes that this psalm speaks of the comprehensive and sufficient care of God. I love that. This is the comprehensive and sufficient care of God. It covers every area of our life. And it's enough. He gives adequately I'm reminded of a story in the Gospels when Jesus steps off a boat. He's looking for rest. He's crossed the Sea of Galilee. And as he comes to the sea, to the shore, he sees a great crowd, an enormous crowd. And it says that he, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion on them. And what does he do? He begins to teach them. He, he begins to feed them with words of life. And then the day gets to, towards evening. And, and what does he do? The Gospel of Mark is fascinating. He tells us he, he, he caused them to lie down on green grass. Mark specifically tells us it was green. And there he takes bread and, and fish and he breaks it. And he feeds them. feeds them all. Oh, he's a good shepherd. Wonderful shepherd. And he knows what we need. He knows that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He knows that we are body and spirit. And so he feeds us with words of life, and he feeds us with bread. It's comprehensive. It's sufficient. There were leftovers. Before we go any further, I want to ask you this morning how has the Lord revealed himself to be your shepherd? How have you experienced the comprehensive and sufficient care of God in your life? Moments like this weekend are are wonderful times, aren't they not, for stopping, for reflecting? for remembering how all the way the lord has led us and i trust that as you look back over the years you can see how the lord has shepherded you how he's cared for you how he's provided for you maybe not always according to the way you wanted him to care for you but it was according to the way he in his wisdom Deemed that you should be cared for. And it was sufficient. I'm reminded of how Samuel, in the book of Samuel, God had just delivered his people, the Philistines, from a great battle in a miraculous way. And, and Samuel puts up a stone and he calls it Eben Ezer, Ebenezer, which means the Lord, thus far the Lord has helped us. And since that's what we're doing this weekend, we're setting up a metaphorical rock and we're saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. We're doing that as a ministry, but we can do this as individuals. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Well, we transition. Verse four is a transition in our psalm. Not only does our shepherd provide for us, he protects us, he keeps us. And the psalm now transitions from this picture of abundant provision to the reality that sometimes God's people experience difficult times. They experience trials, they experience sufferings, they experience darkness, they experience the valley of the shadow of death. But note the relationship with the previous section. He's just told us, David has just asserted that the Lord guides us in right paths. But sometimes these right paths can be difficult paths. I wonder if you realize that this morning. You might be on the right path, but that path might be a difficult path. It might lead through the valley of the shadow of death. David isn't trying to look at life through rose-colored glasses. He's aware of the presence of evil. He's aware of the presence of evil without. He's aware of the presence of evil within. But he's confident in his shepherd. I don't know where each of you are at this morning, but if you are in this valley, if you're in the midst of suffering, remember that even in this valley, In this part of your life, the Lord is leading you on right paths and ultimately good paths. And so what does David say? Here's the second of the two great statements in this psalm. I shall not want. I lack nothing. And here he says, I fear no evil. I fear no evil. I'm not afraid of danger. I'm not afraid of what might be, of what could be. I'm not afraid. Why? For you are with me. For you are with me. It's because of the presence of the shepherd. Now, we have to be very clear here. We are not afraid of evil, not because evil is eliminated, not because evil disappears and evaporates, but because of the presence of the shepherd. In the midst of that evil, the presence of our shepherd. And I love the way David communicates this. He does it in a subtle way. He actually does it in a grammatical way. But he communicates to us that the darker the valley, the closer the shepherd. The darker the valley, the closer the shepherd. You'll note that in the first part of this psalm, God is referred to in the third person. He is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. He provides for me. He refreshes. But here it transitions. For what? You are with me. The He third has become the second person, you. You are with me. The the darker the valley, the closer. The shepherd, the more intimate is the presence of the shepherd. In fact, I would go so far as to say that there are some experiences of God's nearness which cannot be known apart from the valley of the shadow of death. I'm sure many of you have experienced that, the reality of that statement. Fear is Fear of evil is removed by the presence of the shepherd. But how does the shepherd assure us of his presence? Well, we read here, the end of verse 4 Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the assurance of God's presence by his rod and his staff. The rod was a club, a weapon of sorts, used by a shepherd to drive away wild animals. The the staff was a walking stick of sorts with a crook that was used to draw sheep back. And so here we have this picture of a rod and a staff and David says, they comfort me. David is saying that God fights for him and defends him. God also though corrects him and disciplines him. God protects him from the evil without the rod. God protects him from the evil, the tendency that is within us to go astray, the staff. And those comfort him. They assure David of God's presence. They bring security to David in his walk through life. How have you experienced God's rod and God's staff? How have you experienced his protection in your life, both from enemies without and from that great enemy within self? How has the Lord kept you? The Lord's a good shepherd, isn't he? In verse five, the metaphor changes abruptly. It changes from sheep with a shepherd to being welcomed as a guest at a feast. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. The theme of danger is still present. The whole idea of protection is still very much present, but it does go somewhat to the background. And what comes to the foreground is again the incredible provision of God, even in the midst of evil. It's important to understand that in the ancient Near East, to provide hospitality to someone was a sacred duty. And it meant more than just having them over to your house and giving them a meal, but it also entailed protecting those guests. To the you know as much as light in your power, it was your sacred duty to protect your guests from danger. And this, I think, is at play here in this psalm. You might remember the story of Lot. Not such a pleasant story, but the story of Lot. He's coming in from the fields. He sees two angels there, and he, provide, he, he offers them hospitality. But when he offers them hospitality, he's doing more than just saying, giving them a place to stay, offering them food, but he is also He is also um, committing himself to protect those two angels up to his own life, basically. Which he does, kind of in a gruesome way. And the Lord delivers him. But that's the context. And what is astonishing here, though, is that it is the Lord himself who is our host. It is the Lord himself who, who prepares a table. It is the Lord himself who anoints our head, which was the custom of the day. When you invited a guest in, you would anoint them and bring them in. And it is the Lord himself who is serving, pouring the pouring the, maybe wine, pouring the drink here. And it's all speaking of abundance. The Lord is the host. And he's welcomed us as his honored guest and he's committed himself to, to do everything in his power, not only to feed us, but to protect us and to watch over us. And he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. Now, the enemies have not gone astray. They've not gone away, I mean. But there's nothing they can do to harm us. Why? Because of the overwhelming power and resources of our host, the one in whose house we are feasting. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? I was just reflecting on this psalm. It's just interesting how much food is present in the psalm. It begins with food, strength to nourish us on a path, and it leads us back to food. It's food, walk, food. It's kind of like this conference a little bit. <laughs> lots of food, more food. But I love that because it's an expression of God's bountiful care. Your bountiful care, what tongue can recite? What tongue can recite? The care of God for his people. I can't help but be reminded here again of the Gospels. And of when our Lord Jesus hosted a meal for his disciples. And before the meal or during the meal, he doesn't anoint their head, but he stoops and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he breaks bread. And he says, take, eat, this is my body. And then he takes a cup. Did it overflow? I don't know. But he takes a cup and he says, this is my blood. Of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And there, as a host, he not only prepares a table for his disciples, but then he gets up and he goes out and he rescues us, he rescues his people by laying his own life down for us. What a host! He's a good shepherd. In fact, he tells us that he's the good shepherd. And he not only feeds us at his table, but he rescues us, he defends us, he protects us, even at the cost of his own life. And so again, how has the Lord revealed himself to be your shepherd? How have you experienced his protection? How have you experienced his presence in the valley of the shadow of death? How have you seen him rescue you and defend you? How have you experienced him correct you and discipline you and draw you back to himself after having gone astray? That's our good shepherd. It's our good shepherd. Well, David, as he meditates on these themes, I think he's overwhelmed here, verse 6. He's just overcome by the goodness, the faithfulness of his shepherd. And he says, surely, and the word surely here is I'm certain that, I'm convinced that, goodness and loving kindness, loving kindness is that rich Hebrew word chesed which is hard to put into words in English, but speaks of God's enduring, covenantal, faithful mercy and love. I'm convinced that these will pursue me all the days of my life. Now, this word pursue usually appears in negative context. Enemies pursue in order to do harm. But here, David turns it on its head and says, no, God's loving kindness, his mercy pursues me. It comes after me in order to bless me now he's not just referring here to loving kindness and goodness in an abstract sense but what he's doing is referring to Jesus Christ he's referring to the shepherd the lord and he perce- he, he is saying the lord goodness itself loving kindness itself pursues me and he says i will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This was David's chief desire, was it not? Psalm 27, I know, a big psalm for us here at the school. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. Mr. Stair was talking about that yesterday. The Lord was his dwelling place. The Lord was his dwelling place. It's interesting here. You see in Psalm 23 how David's desire to dwell in the presence of God has now become his confidence. I will dwell. I will remain. I will abide. Not just as a guest who comes and who goes, but as a member of God's household. I will live in God's presence. What are we to take away from this psalm? And my hope and my desire is that each of us would be able to pour our faith into the mold of this great psalm. That as we look back on our lives and we look into the future, as we meditate on the character of our great shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord, we might be able, with David, to affirm the precious truths of this psalm. But if we are to pour our faith into the mold of this psalm, two things are necessary. One, we have to acknowledge ourselves to be sheep. We have to recognize that we're sheep. What does that mean? Well, the psalm tells us what it means. Sheep can't provide for themselves. Sheep cannot protect themselves. Sheep need bread, water. We need strength. We need to be led. We are weak. We need correction. We need defend defending. We're sheep. We're helpless. We're weak. We're needy. And if we are to experience this psalm, affirm this psalm for ourselves, we must humble ourselves and recognize ourselves to be sheep in need of a shepherd. But the second thing that's necessary is we have to understand the greatness of our shepherd. We have to understand that we're needy, but we have to understand that he has every resource. The wonder of our shepherd. We must grasp the greatness of God's love and power on our behalf. Not in some general sense, not just God's power and love on David's behalf or towards so-and-so or towards EI even as a ministry, but towards me, towards in my life, in a very personal and real way. In other words, we have to be convinced that because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, God is now for us. He's for us. And He cares about every detail in our lives. Where are you at this morning? We've thought a lot about God's great faithfulness. Are you willing to pour your faith into the mold of this song? Will you say with David, "The Lord is my shepherd." Make it personal. I shall not want. I fear no evil. I want to invite you right now, I want to invite us to bow our heads. And I want to invite you in the next just couple minutes, just taking a couple minutes, to read through this psalm individually, quietly, and to make it your own. Right here, right now, as you reflect upon your life and the, the way, all the way the Lord has led you, to read through this psalm and make it your own prayer to God, your own confident assertion of faith in God. And I realize that perhaps you don't feel like it's true. Some of us may not feel like it's true. But if the Lord is our shepherd, it is true. It is true. Why? Because we're a people who walk by faith not by sight. And so take a couple minutes, pray through this prayer, and I'll close us in prayer in just a couple minutes. Father, we come to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. That He is our good shepherd. He lays down His life for the sheep. Thank you, Lord, for your comprehensive <clears throat> and sufficient care in our lives. Thank you for leading us all the way. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. And we praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.